Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. First reading is from Proverbs, chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. Wisdom cries out in the street. In the squares, she raises her voice. At the busiest corner, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? and fools hate knowledge. Give heed to my reproof. I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make my words known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are set for our second reading. We're moving into the book of 1 Corinthians. That is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. We are starting in chapter 1. We are reading verses 18 through, I'm going to go through 25. Listen now for the word of the Lord. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greek desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's a story about a man who goes to get his hair cut. He is with his barber, And the door opens and a young man, nine or 10 years old, comes in. And the barber leans over and says, watch this. This kid is the most foolish kid you will ever see and I'm gonna prove it. So he says, young man, come over here. And the barber puts a dollar in one hand and two quarters, 50 cents, in the other. He says, you can take whichever one you want, you can't have both, so take one or the other as fine. And the young man comes and he looks at both and he thinks and he grabs the 50 cents and he goes out of the door, out of the barber shop and out. And the barber laughs and says, God, what a fool. I can't believe it. Every time he takes 50 cents instead of the dollar. 
And so the man getting his hair cut thinks it's a little strange, okay? So when he leaves, he sees the boy across the street with an ice cream cone. And he says, young man, can you come here, please? He said, I saw you in the barber shop and the barber offered you a dollar or 50 cents. And why did you take the 50 cents and not the dollar? And the young man licked his ice cream and said, because if I take a dollar, then the game is over. I've made 10 bucks already this week. <laughs> so in that story, the barber thought the boy was the fool, but in actuality, the young man was playing the barber. So today's passage is all about wisdom and foolishness. As Paul writes this letter, kind of our setting for Corinth is that Corinth itself is uh, a city that's on an isthmus or a kind of a land bridge between two bodies of water that becomes two seaports that from either side, uh, goods are brought, ships are coming. So goods are traded. It's a wealthy city. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth not necessarily as some of the other letters are dealing with how to become Christians if they were formerly Jews. Do they have to become Jews to become Christians? Is it Jews versus Greeks and how do we mesh all that? Here, it's a little bit different. It is about the extreme wealth and the extreme poverty, the power and the social standing that comes with those who have. And then the other is these multiple gods. So we found no less than two dozen archeological remains of different sites that were dedicated to different gods. So imagine that environment. And so prevalent and we'll say festive was the environment that before Las Vegas, before New Orleans, Corinth may have been one of the original sin cities in the New Testament. So it was this great collection of plurality, of different folks coming and going. And so this is where Paul comes in. And obviously, he's detected a problem. And the problem is this, as he sees it, that the church in Corinth that he helped to start was starting to move away from Jesus and the theology of the cross because it was harder to get other people to believe that. I'm so glad things have changed thousands of years later. One of the things that is sometimes a challenge for us is to lift up the cross in the empty tomb. A lot of times it's easier when we are out in the world, sometimes even with one another to focus more on the social justice side of our faith, which is strong and foundational, and we are called to engage in through Christ. But the general compassion and helping of others can mesh with other world religions. You can have good atheists who seek to care for other people. All of those things can converge with really little friction our faith calls us 
to help oppressed people and to take care of those in need. So do many of the other world religions. And again, you don't have to be a person of any faith to say, I want to help my neighbor. It's an easier fit there where it becomes a little harder is when we talk about the cross because that's what separates our religion from all the others. But it's also what gives us our faith, our savior and our God. And Paul says it here in trying to convince all these people and those in his church now who used to be of all of this collection of other gods to now come and say, those big powerful gods that you served have been usurped by a carpenter with no money, who rides donkeys, who hangs out with sinners, tax collectors, those on the margins who did not come to free Jerusalem and Israel from the occupiers, the Roman force. Well, you can see some of the difficulty in that. My fake God is much more powerful than whatever you're telling us, Paul, with this Jesus who died. He died on the cross. Why did he allow himself? No, God is going to do Why did he experience the pain? Why did that happen? And Paul says it right out. The cross is foolishness to those who don't believe, but to those who do believe, it is the power of God. Let's think about that for a second. Think about those who critique the Christian faith, those who have not had necessarily an encounter with God or Christ to feel the reality and the connection, those who have never felt God's spirit working through others, through one another, through a church family, through serving or helping others. It's very easy to look at the story and say, that sounds crazy. This poor man just started healing people and spent time with lepers and sinners and tax collectors and all the people that nobody in decent society would hang out with. Then he rode a donkey into Jerusalem. He fought the Pharisees. He fought the Jewish leaders of the temple. Then he allowed himself to be killed on the cross. And to recognize that and mark that significance, we eat his body and drink his blood. I understand. And, and then, and then he was raised as if none of that had ever happened and he's still with us every day. It sounds amazing, doesn't it? A fantastic tale. And for those who don't believe, it is that. It is foolishness. But for us who believe... That's where God's power is. As we become all too familiar in our day and age, we can all hear and read the same thing, but see it so completely different and understand it so completely differently. For those who don't believe the cross is that story that makes no sense, 
that seems like a myth, but for us who have experienced, who have learned, who have studied, who have been covered with grace that we can see and touch and feel and know, whose faith is strong enough to have a foundation and to continue to ask questions and grow. And yes, we all have faith. Uh, uh, we all have doubts and fears and questions. But for us who seek to follow, we would look at that and say, oh yeah, that is our God. That is the power of Christ. And this is the duality Paul is working with. For all those who don't believe, he's saying, in a sense, I don't know, a lot of them are never going to believe. What day will the world out there stop criticizing you for being a Christian and stop calling you foolish for believing in a resurrected Christ? What day is that? Is that the 17th? Never. Never. Why? Because it is folly to them. But we know better and we know different. We are tasked then with claiming that power. We are tasked with recognizing what the world says is wisdom and what God knows to be wisdom. So easy for us to be swayed like I bet those Corinthians were in that church with all of the surroundings being pulled different ways to different gods, different cultural temptations that they, had, that they had legitimately practiced all of their life. And now Paul says, no, there's one God and he died in a horrible way on the cross even though he was resurrected. Again, if you're gonna fake this, if there's some conspiracy and Jesus never existed and you sit down with a couple of people and say, we're gonna write this story and pretend like this existed, this isn't a story you're going to write. It was so countercultural to what would cause people to follow. Not wealth, not power, not status, not somebody with an army, but completely opposite of those in every way, and yet with a power that trumps all of it. That is our claim. That is what we know to be true. So, Yes, we are fools, but we are fools for Christ. I read a story uh, a preacher told about a girl who had a, a T-shirt made, and on the front of it, it said, I am a green couch. I am a green couch. And there was a, a scripture verse underneath it. So she's in a public place and people are walking by. You, you are what? A green couch? Well, look at the passage. The passage had nothing to do with a green couch. It had to do with finding salvation through Christ. And so those who took time to look it up went back and said, what? What? What do you mean you're a green couch? The passage had nothing to do with that. And she said, if, if my shirt had declared that I was a Christian or had a verse on it, you probably would have dismissed me, called me a fool, and not gone to look up that verse. We wouldn't have the opportunity to have this conversation because you would have judged me as a fool. She said, I know it sounds stupid, but it works. It's allowed me to have this conversation and share my faith. Being a fool for Christ 
is not the same as being a fool. It means we fully accept and welcome what we know to be true, but what the world calls untrue or false or fake. And if you were to sum up all of the theology of Paul, it would be Christ crucified. If you were to whittle that down, one word, it would just be cross. And again, that's what is so difficult for those on the outside of our faith to see and to believe. And when you think about it, again, it is odd. All the ways that we wear symbols, that we wear crosses, necklaces, earrings, tattoos, shirts with crosses on it. It might just be the same, except if they had executed Jesus on an electric chair, we would all be wearing electric chairs on our ears, our tattoos, our shirts, all of those things. We've appropriated that as our symbol because it is an important one. And Paul would say, yes, because it is about the cross. None of us is wise. None of us has it all figured out. We're all fools about something and in some ways. I always try to watch the first round of Jeopardy because I know I'm not going to do well in the second. We're all ignorant of things. That doesn't make us ignorant in the negative sense. Nobody can know everything about everything. But this is what we do know. We know that it is Christ who came for us. It is Christ who died and was raised for us. And that is not folly for we who believe, but showing God's power of love and compassion and grace and light. So we are called to go out and be fools for Christ in the ways that we are called to be. And we don't go alone. Christ walks with us. We're all fools for something. We're all fools for something, sometimes for people. Our challenge is to make sure that above all else, that we are fools for Christ. So let us join hands and go together. Hallelujah. Amen.